Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. Broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm your host, Michael McCall. And I'm flying solo for this episode. They say there's no rest for the wicked, but I have given Steve and Zach this show off because we've got a lot to to cram in. The year is winding down, football teams are winding down, businesses are winding down as much as they they have actually got up to to speed in the first place. So that means a lot of of end-of-season calls, a lot of of end-of-season chats, a lot of tournaments winding up as well. And we're going to be covering all of that in tonight's show. It's going to be another MLS-heavy show. We're going to have our usual end-of-season State of the Whitecaps chat with Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantis. We're going to head east to get some of the end-of-season chat as well from the Montreal Impact. Call them that while they can because you might not be able to do so for much longer. And we're going to have a look as well at the CONCACAF Champions League that's wrapping up just before Christmas with a nice little bow in it. Four MLS teams involved in that. Three knocked out in the quarterfinals, LAFC advancing to the semi-finals, with teams now finally able to draw a line under their season. But all of that is still to come. We're going to kick things off in the first two parts with the meat and potatoes of this episode. It's our State of the Whitecaps chat with Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantis. These are chats that we've had with whoever the, the Whitecaps head coach is, basically since 2013 when Robbo took over in December of that year. It's a tradition we like to keep going, and this crazy year, it's good to keep your traditions going if you can at Christmas, so that's exactly what we're doing. So grab yourself some warm eggnog, your mince pie or chocolate digestive of choice, sit back and enjoy our end-of-season chat, and look to the future with MDS. So delighted to be joined by Mark now, just to kind of have a little look over at the year that's been, but more a look ahead to the the future. So thank you for joining us today, Mark. Thanks for having me. And I don't want to look too, too much back at the year that's been. That's just how we've kind of done these things the last couple of years. What's past is past. But I mean, there's a couple of things we do obviously have to quickly go over. I mean, first of all, I've got to say to you, 
does it feel weird having this stay at home now? You kind of touched on it about going home in between and feeling a little bit strange and like a bit of a stranger in your own house. Have you kind of settled back into routine again? Uh, I, I haven't really settled into a routine because for me, routine is home and work. Uh, and a trip for a game and coming back, that's a, nor- a normal routine. I've settled like for a big time uh, home and it's been a lot of uh, time home and breaks because we had the, the COVID, the two months mm. uh, when COVID hit and that we were home, but then my wife and kids were, were back in Montreal. Uh, so I stayed alone for those two months, but then coming back it's just a readjustment to to the family to the little things of right now not 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 working on a soccer field or at or or facility but more from my office home helping with the kids uh, that kind of routine got back but it's not a normal routine for me it's it's a year that has been incredibly with ups and downs and weird situations. So I'm just getting used to it. But can I call it routine? Not not really. A, a new adaptation for what I was living in the last few months. Yeah, I know no one really knows what's going to hold in store either, which will kind of come to... I'll, I asked Axel this, and... I, if you had said to, to Axel a year ago, okay, you're going to move to another country, your family's not going to be with you, you're not even going to be in that country, etc., etc., how many times did he think, I wish I hadn't maybe taken this role? And he was honest enough to say, yeah, things crossed his mind a little bit. When you were going back and forward and doing this and away with your family, and I know it's a bit different for you because you've been away from your family before, but were there times this season that you said to yourself why, why am i doing this you know not i, I don't want to name the person but not long ago i spoke with a a coach that is is older but much older you know um he's in his 70s right now and he told me that um the thing i should be the most careful with is at the end of all the process of coaching or being in professional sport, not be in a position when I'm 70 that I say, I give so much to this sport and now I'm alone with very little friends, family is away, you know, and that mm. that happens in the life of a lot of people in professional sports. I'm telling you a lot. But people tend to just focus on the eye moments and the the fame and the nice things. But the if you put too many things in front of of things that really really matter, it, it, it's danger for 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 the future. Uh, so what this year has taught me is about that. You know, really put priorities and at the right place and think about everything. Um, I think that when I look back at the year, uh, Axel probably is looking at us, wow, I, I arrived here and in my first year, it's something that is out of this world and it's out of this world for, for a lot of people in the world, right? Uh, but 
I look at it as, uh, yes, I was a, a lot without my family, a lot of months, a lot, a lot of months, but I was a little bit used to it. Um, but I don't think it's a normal life for someone to have. Um, it's good to do it for a, a period, but do I hope that next year is like that again? No, not at all. Do I know what next year is going to be like? No, there's still a lot of question marks uh, in the league. And look, I'll tell you this, we we don't even have our preseason already booked. So we don't know. We know preseason part's going to be in Vancouver, but we don't know where we could go, who we going to play exhibition games. I'm even prepared to play the first game of the season without any exhibition game, you know, looking at the how things could be built. Um, but for sure, for Axel, that maybe comes from an environment that he was always closer to his family, because even in Germany, there's there's not too much of this traveling like maybe the MLS has or, or, or Brazil, that is a bigger country. Um, for him, it was probably a, 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 a big shock, uh, COVID in the first year in, for sure. Yeah, I don't think when we talked a year ago, you could even imagine what, what the year was going to be like. And I know it's hard to really evaluate just the year in general for the club, for the players, for even the league, even the, the team that won the league. It's like, were they the best team in MLS? I mean, can I cover some of that stuff? When you look back at where the team is now, though, like the Whitecaps, when you look at where the club is now to where it was a year ago, are you happy with the growth that you've seen or was it slower than you really hoped for? I had a lot of hopes, Michael, with the the how, when we were building uh, the team with the June 2020 transfer window, because we had Axel arriving, uh, we knew the core that we would have as a team, and also the 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 spots that would be open to bring uh, additions that would make us even stronger. But let's face it, the, the June transfer, June-July transfer window didn't exist. Uh, it just didn't exist. And for us, uh, players left, but nobody came in. Uh, so when I look at where we are today, yes, I'm, I'm very happy with where we are today because I know what, what could come in and help the team. I know what we could get as additions that are going to join this core. When I look at the core and I look at, uh, I start with our goalkeepers. One of the positive things of the year is uh, Thomas. Thomas, I rate as one of the very positive stories of the year that today we have Maxim Cripo and Thomas Asal, and we say we're young in goal. Both are Canadian goalkeepers and both give security. Maybe they don't have the experience of a, a, a fry, for example, but they could get there. Uh, when I look at our back four, there's areas where I think it's a six and we need to get to an eight. Um, in the center back position, I question sometimes the the level of experience we have there. Can When I look at some of the teams that win yeah. in MLS titles, they always have this older guy that brings experience. We don't have that. 
but maybe uh, with patience and work with these guys, they could definitely become that. Um, and then I look at uh, the midfield, still a young midfield, but I also know what kind of additions we could bring. I know we were working very hard to bring an attacking midfielder, designated player. We're working very hard to bring a, a young designated player, also a central midfielder. So not only uh, in guys like uh, Bike, Leo, Baldi and Rusty, but we still have two additions, one a designated player and another one a young DP that could add to that. Um, I still think we have a, another position, two other positions for young DP. One could be another number nine. Uh, the other one is going to be a winger. So when I look at still having Kava there, still having Dajome there, Tio, uh, Ryan, we still have a, 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 a core of a group that we didn't have one year ago. And when I see the last 12 games of the season, when it comes to goals conceded, goals scored, uh, chances created, balls won in the opponent midfield, there was a growth there. There was an identity that was slowly getting installed. And our objective is with the core that we have in getting into 2021, with the additions we're going to make, uh, just grow in that identity. As I said, it's hard to kind of really fully evaluate anything this year. Because you, you look at some of the results during the regular season. And I mean, it wasn't just the Whitecaps that were shipping goals all over the place. You had top teams on the road with everything that was happening, giving up four, five, six goals. And looking at the defence, though, and this is something I, I talked to, to Axel about as well, to me that is a big concern because for the last two seasons, the team's been at the bottom end when it comes to, to goals that's, that's conceded you've given up the most goals. But it's also an area of the pitch that you've spent a lot of money. You've got Ali, you've got Ranko, Godoy. There's always talk about strengthening the midfield and the up front. And it's good to hear you talking about having an experienced guy maybe in the centre of defence. Because I do feel that's what's lacking. Is you look at teams like Nashville with Walker Zimmerman as a great example. Other clubs that are successful do seem to have that old head in there. Is that kind of something you'd look for maybe within the league or is that something you would look for overseas? You know, it's uh, first of all, we have uh, three centre backs that are foreigners. So mm. we have to to evaluate first what we could do there um, before thinking about any other centre back, let's say, to bring from, from outside. But... Again, I think defensively, it's a collective aspect. Uh, when we defend, it's not only the back four. It's, yeah. it's the 11 players. And again, when I saw what we did in the last part of the season, especially the last 10 games, we conceded an average of a goal per game. So it was in the normality of the team's that are successful defending in MLS, okay? Uh, the problem is way too many games, we conceded three or more goals. Uh, some is due to uh, the travel. Uh, you know, the, the games at MLS is back, for me, is very hard to evaluate because we were 
a lot in a survival mode there. It was not even on roster. It was very hard to to ask the group for more. Um, yes, could we have done better? But it's very hard to 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 look at that. But then the 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 games that were difficult for us were the games that we would have to fly in and out. Mm. That was a, a terrible experience for us. We weren't able to adapt to that very well. The majority of the teams in MLS were not able to adapt to that very well. Um, you know, you have the we have that game, a nightmare of a game in LA, uh, the 6-0. We have the 3-1 in, um, in Seattle, the 3-0 in San Jose, where we conceded, where we played a good portion of the game, one man and two men down. But only there, you have 12 goals in, in two in three games. Um, so there is absolutely no doubt that we want to become better in our defensive record. It's a, it's something that is, uh, is in red in our book for next season. Um, but we're not looking at it only in one position. We're looking at it in the full collective aspect. And again, when we go back to our pre-season of 2020, uh, how we started the, the last 10 games that we had all of the core in our roster together gives us a, a very good indication of how, of how uh, we can defend uh, for sure. The, the, just to, to put again on, on the Walker Zimmerman or right now it's, it's moves that are very difficult to do in MLS. That's the problem. Yeah, that, w that was something I was going to ask you later, but I'll, I'll ask it now because obviously I asked you this last year about adding MLS experience and I know it was something that you hoped to do. We've talked about the difficultness of it, but y you look at like Nashville with Walker Zimmerman, Austin with, with Alex Ring yesterday, there seems to be every year a couple of like bumper trades within the league where there's a lot of gam given up. Now, the white caps, it's hard to work out because it's not transparent, but it, it feels like the club are sitting on a lot of gam, sitting on a lot of tam. It's spending it. I know clubs might not want to give up assets, but would you be willing to give up like a bumper amount of money to get that one player that you need in a in a specific position. Yeah, we would. We would. We actually tried to do some moves uh, that some were very exaggerated. We pushed, but we were not able to get uh, to where we wanted. Right. Uh, we are still evaluating a couple of players that we want to do a move for. Um, so we are willing to do that, and we're evaluating that. Uh, but trust me, this is a topic of discussion every day among us. Uh, but it's always, okay, who's the player? What is the position that we need? Of course, I don't like in public interviews to be talking about specific spots because yeah. then the players that play in those spots might feel attacked somehow. And I don't want to go there, but I'll tell you that there's no doubt that there are specific positions that we feel we need a bump. We need to go maybe we're a six there, but we could become an eight. And if we become an eight 
in this position, and then we go from a five to a seven in this one, and we move, well, all of our collective team starts to grow. Uh, so there is no doubt in my head that we, um, I, I think we'll do something. I think we'll do something, but it's hard to confirm because it's it, it doesn't depend only on us. And if you think about Nashville and Austin, they started because of being an expansion team yeah. with the right amount of money just to do it in a clean sheet. So the difficult part for us is in 2000, in the end of 2018, we acted like an expansion team, not being an expansion team. And now we have to kind of slowly rebuild this. Uh, I think we are 100% in the right direction. We could definitely do moves that are going to help the team. We will do that. But when it comes to the moves like uh, Ico Para or Walker Zimmerman or uh, uh, Alexander Ring, these are moves that are are very big right now in the league and 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 I don't want to talk about any name of player but I also think in the league some moves were made uh in an exaggerated way that I don't agree with the amount that was spent to some player but at the end of the day the player's value is what the market is willing to offer it yeah I I've had my eyes raised at quite a, a a few over the years which I mean like I obviously won't expect you to to comment on this but even like with what we got for Jordi Reyna to DC I was like that's a pretty good bit of business from the Whitecats point of view and I know it's easier for expansion teams because you are building from scratch that is kind of the the trouble I guess that you've got with the Whitecaps and that you've come to a club and you know this, the the fans' expectations have been dashed so many times. Managers over the years before you, and I know you can't go into that too much, but it's like they've always talked about looking for a difference maker, bringing in that, that big DP guy, the guy that's going to be the guy that helps get the team to the playoffs. And we've had a string of designated players at the club over the years that have basically flopped. And they've just not lived up to, to expectations. So again, we're now looking, and the word from Axel and yourself is we're going to be bringing in a full DP and then young DPs. What would you say to the fans that are sitting listening to this and saying, yeah, we've heard this before, but we're still waiting for that difference maker? Mm-hmm. I I understand what you're saying, and I understand what fans think. Uh, and... For me to be here with uh, with uh, with promises and fans, you have to accept. I, I think there's too much of this happening here, and we don't need to do that. I I think the people that work with me every day and know me, they they know how much we're working hard to find that player. Actually, we we found some of them. And we're trying to get some of them. So it's a process of it's just uh, when you go after a very big player that I really believe could make a difference for us. Well, you have to think this is a player that's not playing in a, I'll use uh, this uh, expression, not in a Mickey Mouse club. Yeah. He's playing in a, a, a solid team. 
it's a player that is important in his team and is a player that many other teams want. Normally, that's the difference maker because we could have brought a lot of the, the, these half different makers that could work out or not. Uh, but do I believe that we're doing everything right now, including the owner's effort on, uh, on, on putting money to get this player? I could guarantee the fan, fans 1,000% yes. Owners are, are, if it's the right guy, let's go. They're open to it. They want to do it. It's just that I think my standard right now for this player is extremely high. Mm. And when I look at the player, I'm maybe I sometimes I I I make my my staff go crazy because I'm very demanding. The guy I I want right now and we want right now is really really good. So it's not easy to get, but we're trying to get him. So there's a lot of things happening right now that. Again, I said that before, you will listen to a lot of rumors and names coming out and players linked to us and players saying that we called them and all of this happening because we're in the market. Some of it might be true. Some of it might be big lies because agents want to value their players and they know we're looking for player A or player B. But I could assure the fans in that we are 1,000% invested right now. We're very aware of what it takes now for the next step. We look at the teams in the league that succeed and mm. we look at how player A, B and C make a difference for them. Uh, and, and, and Michael, that's the only thing I could in a very genuine way tell the fans rather than being here promising things uh, i'm not about that yeah I, I think the playoffs this year highlighted the the importance of having the right designated players i mean a club like new england gustav bow and their their other designated players that they had there were fantastic columbus Zellerion is a guy, a difference maker that kind of lived up to to his billing in that final. Minnesota had it. And it, it is, I, I don't know what it has been about this club. We've just struggled to, to get the right player, which then makes it difficult for you and your staff to, to get fans to buy into that. That feels a, a good place to stop our chat with MDS for now. We'll take a little break and we'll be back looking at what the future might hold in store for the Whitecaps and how MDS is seeing his tenure at the Whitecaps so far. We'll be back with all that and more after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Carlini. You're listening to the AFD Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN, Minneapolis icons, Husker Du. We didn't get a chance to, to play Husker Du on last week's show because we, we didn't really have any music in it, with it being our MLS watch-along. So you're going to get two songs from the band tonight. The first of which comes from their sixth and final studio album, released in January 1987, a double album, Warehouse Songs and Stories, and that was probably their their biggest hit, I think, that they had all together as a band. That was Could You Be The One. The opening line of the song, Could You Be The One They Talk About. Well, I think the Whitecaps fan base are really desperately crying out for a designated player uh, as being the one that they can talk about. That midfield maestro that's going to run the show. We've seen it so often with other teams. We've seen it a lot in this year's MLS playoffs. The difference makers doing what it says in the tin. Being difference makers. Number 10, standing out. Zilla Ryan in last week's MLS Cup final. This is what the, the Whitecaps have been desperately crying out for and haven't had since the Probably the first year of Pedro Morales as a white cap. But Axel Schuster has said there's a senior DP coming to help out in that midfield. Who could it be? Could he be the one? We've got to hope so. It gets us nicely back to our chat now with Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantis. We're talking about difference makers and designated players there before the break. Let's continue that chat now with a look at the profile of just who the Whitecaps might be looking to bring in as that designated player, and a lot more besides. Let's get back to MDS. Now, Axel talked about looking at a number 10 that can play a number 8. And then we were talking about this on the show. So, is this the, the player that you're ideally looking for, is it a guy that is a pure number 10 but he can also play that eight role, or is it a guy that's an eight that you would be asking to play the number ten? Because there's a big difference in yeah. my mind as to what they would contribute to the team. I'm glad. I'm glad that you speak about uh, about soccer because these are the questions that need to be asked. You know, to educate the people. I think that the pure number ten has slowly disappeared from the world slowly if you look at teams in the world you will find some but in general that pure number 10 is slowly disappearing um so what we mean by number 10 slash eight is a player that is a playmaker in his nature is more of an attacking midfielder but he's also capable of being kind of a box-to-box player by his movement. I'll give you an example. In the league, I get tired when I look at Lodero running. He doesn't stop in a good way. He's always in movement. This is a player that easily could play in a 4-4-2 behind the forward or in a 4-3-3 with a system of uh, one defensive midfielder and two attacking midfielders in one of the two weights because of his 
mobility and the way he moves and endurance and capacity to to link the play. So this is that. So are we talking about a number ten traditional like Riquelme was, like Ortega was? No, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking more at the number ten, like maybe what I'll ask you this question. You don't think Bruno Fernandes could play as a number eight? I, I mean, I think a lot of these guys can. Yeah. It, it's just, in MLS, it feels that a lot more is asked defensively of the midfield. And I think sometimes if a 10 is playing an eight role, he gets too sucked back defensively, which yeah. kind of neuters his attacking creativity a little bit. Well, yes, uh, I understand. We don't want to find the number eight, uh, 10 that plays in the second line of our team, but a number eight, 10 that plays in the last line of mm. our team. So that means that uh, the player we're bringing is not going to be sucked back that much. Uh, but what we mean by eight, 10 is a player that has the ability to, um, with his mobility and endurance and being a box-to-box, that in the moments that were lower on the field, he could still come to help the team connect and transition. And this is when I give an example with a top level, of course, in the world like Bruno Fernandes, that is able to come deep, get the ball, or to play in the last line uh, of his team, being able to play as an eight or as a number 10. Um, this is when, just to be clear on when we're talking about about the type of player, uh, I, I, I think what needs to be clear is, you know, sometimes we talk too much about numbers. Uh, yeah. They need a 10, they need a 6. You know, I, I hear that so much, so many times. What's a 6? There's six Kante, there's six Makelele, there's six Busquets. There's so different type of number six, you know. Uh, there's number six that could play almost as a number eight and as a number 10, like Atuesta. Atuesta could play anywhere in the midfield. But people call him a number six, you know. I, I, I just see the game. I see the game like this, Michael, today. I don't believe in number eight, six, tens. So for me to, I prefer staying away of numbers. I'll tell you this. I believe in midfielders that have a better ability to help the team defend. Others by their qualities help more the team link in possession. In possession. Others that help the team uh, in the last third. And what we're looking for is a midfielder that is able to help the team much more in the last third. So a more attacking midfielder. If you want to call it an 8, a 10, a 10, 8, I think the numbers mean very low. And we could talk about uh, for hours about this. Yeah. Right back. There's the right back Cafu. And then there's right backs that are almost a, a third center back. You know, both are right backs, right? Uh, Cafu looked like a winger or Daniel Alves looked like a winger. Others are more uh, defensive, but both are right backs. So uh, when you say, oh, we need a right back or we need a left back, what kind of characteristics we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, the game changes so much over the years. Like my team in Scotland, they 
were very successful in the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s. And you look at what their official lineup was, and it was like two at the back because it was a two-three-five. Yeah, yeah. Because so, you had the wing backs and everything. So I mean, the game changes so much, and we're seeing it with an MLS. And I, I'm bad for thinking, like when when you're scouting around the world. Uh, I'm just going to use Jasser Kamiri as an example. You sign someone that's playing in Tunisia, and I'm thinking, why are you looking at the Tunisian league? That's not a not a quality league. But obviously, every league around the world can have top quality talent in it. When you're looking at these young designated players, are you looking that they're more likely going to be coming from up and coming leagues, progressive leagues, or more established leagues, as I would look at it? We're looking, you know, Yasser Kimiri was a, a, an opportunity and also a project that we wanted to try uh, and look how it would fit. Uh, the Tunisian league, of course, it's not the level of MLS, but uh, Tunisian players are maybe higher. Maybe historically, uh, let's be very honest, talking about football and forgetting uh, that we're Canadian or Americans historically, it would be a scandal for us Canadians or Americans to say that we're bigger in soccer than Tunisia is. Tunisia is probably the biggest African country um, in, in World Cups, the most participation, the most, uh, a lot of players playing at high level, especially in France. So we looked at it in that way. Uh, but when what we're looking at and what we're talking a lot about is like, we're not now in a position that we have such a good core to experiment and to try things and to and to look at uh, at focusing on leagues and focusing on uh, on uh, nationalities. Is the player gonna help our team win? And sometimes we even consider uh, age. You know, sometimes we look at. We're a young team today, and we're talking about uh, three young DPs. This means he's going to be under 21. Mm. And then you have the story of young DPs and MLS. I'm always here to control expectation. You cannot name me today, right now, five young DPs that have arrived and made the difference big one in the team, and any team in MLS. You have situations, Diego Rossi, uh, Brian Rodriguez, you have situations here and there. But still, if you look at guys like, I, I won't say names, but there's players that were bought for a lot, a lot of money. And still, as young DPs, haven't given their club the return they hoped. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard there to talk about young DPs and say they would make a difference. So we hope that the young DPs we're going to have are going to bring a plus to the roster where the sum of all parts are going to make our team better. But in other positions that we have cap space or a DP spot, our question is, is he coming from a place, from a club, and by his characteristic, going to come here to help our team win 
That's what need not help thinking that, oh, we could sell him in five years. Or, no, no, can he uh, make our team win? Because projects to sell are in our young DPs. Our cap players and, and our DP have to be players that help the team win more games. That's what we want. I don't like the DP tag because it just, I feel it's already... I, I hate it. I yeah. hate it. Right away, the player is under pressure. It's a, when they don't perform, unlike we've had it here, like RDAs um, and Blondell and guys like that, as soon as you've got that tag and they don't perform, everyone pounces on, well, that's a DP and it's a, it's a waste. I mean, MLS in general, with all the rules and the, the GAM and TAM and, and all this stuff, when you're dealing with players, obviously, they don't care about that. They just want to know what you're offering them and what it's going to be like for them and their family. With the COVID situation just now, how how difficult has it been to say to a player, look, we really want you, your family will have a great life in Vancouver, but we can't honestly tell you whether you'll be with them for a big chunk of the year? That... I try not to go there right now because if I go there, we won't bring the best players yeah. here. I'm telling you that for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't come. I wouldn't leave my, my wife for months and end in a foreign country. This. Think of this about this, Michael. Sometimes, you know, there we're so we're so delusional sometimes thinking about a player one wants to leave Europe just because of the quality of life in North America. Let's talk about that. When you make a lot of money and you live in a city like Istanbul and you live in a city like Lisbon, like Paris, those are top cities in the world. Like it's sunny, there's the bee, it's nice. It's, it's not just, hey, come the quality of life in North America. There's players that tell you, why? Did you try the quality of life in <laughs> Lisbon when you make a lot of money? Try, and you'll never want to go back to your country, you know? So the thing that, because it's not there, I don't want to talk about is come, but there's a chance that we go two, three months. If that happens, then we have to deal with it because today there's no talks about us going two, three months somewhere. We just don't know. Can that happen? Yes, but we don't know. But what I do tell the players is I say uh, we need guys that come to Vancouver, one, because they want to come here. They want to make the club better. Of course, that when money's involved, they also want a better financial situation. Of course, that's that happens in all of, uh, of the game. But we we I share with them about the year. I share what happened in COVID. I share it with them. I, I don't hide that. I tell them where we play. I tell them that we're turf when we play home, but our facility is Champions League. Uh, a lot of times it's spoken that we play on turf, we play on turf at BC Place, but our training facility is Champions League level. Our grass is phenomenal to train on. So it's only the games. And many of the games in MLS are also on grass. So... Some are on turf, but all of our home games are on turf. We share everything. And then we don't we want to be transparent so the player doesn't arrive here and after says, Whoa, I, I, I didn't think this would happen, or I didn't think, but do I tell the player maybe we'll go two months or three to to another to stay? 
no, I, I try to stay away for, from that because that's not even a, a sure thing. We don't even know yeah. what's going to happen. I mean, looking at that then, I was on Don Garber's conference call just before the MLS Cup, which we spoke about this in the show. It frustrated the hell out of me because it's the state of the league. But it was all these individual questions about, oh, what's happening with stadiums in this city or with this team? I wanted to know about questions about the league and what was happening next year, schedules and, and everything like that. So... Like, just taking you out as the Whitecaps manager, as, as Mark DeSantos, the person, what would you, what would be your way to start next season for the Whitecaps? If the border's still closed, should it be another all-Canadian series? And, and, like, this is not, like, holding you or saying, oh, you're saying that this is what the league needs to be, but just for, from you as a soccer person, do you feel it should be all Canadian teams or should we get the chance to have bubbles in Canada where other teams fly up and you get to actually play games in Canada so you're not the ones traveling if we would have uh in 2020 if we would have teams doing the in and out in Vancouver we would have made the playoffs we would have gotten those three extra points somewhere I would like to see the teams, you know, that there's teams that I won't say the name of some teams that every time I watch them in TV, they were playing home. Mm. I was like, these guys are always home. And then with some fans and everything yeah. just lived a very different situation. So I get kind of emotional talking about that. But I'll tell you this. I, I hope that there would be a consideration to make a bubble in Canada. Uh, if that would not be possible, I think to give us a chance and to extend the period, one, the league, just not talking as a coach, just yeah. as you ask as me, the league would have to consider probably starting later this season, unfortunately, to kind of balance everything um, and probably start with all Canadian series for the Canadian teams that would give us even more time to get everything right and to hopefully playing games home. Uh, because we need to play home. We need to play home. I, I felt a difference, especially in the three games we played uh, where we won two and lost one um, in that Canadian series when the three games we played home. I, I think it helps and you get those extra points that you need for sure. We'll just do a couple more things. I could talk to you for hours about this. Um, whenever I get chatting to you, it was the same when I, I spoke to Philip during lockdown. We ended up chatting for hours on end, it felt. But I, I want to ask you a couple of things to finish just about you as a coach then. What do you feel you learned about yourself this year as a, as a coach? Oof, I learned so many things. But I, the, the biggest thing that stayed with me and, uh, and, and, and became, I, I became reinforced in what's my belief as a coach is that my toughest moments in, uh, in, in the club due to different situations also was the instability in the model of play. And when we are stable in the moment in the model and coherent with the model the results are much better 
And I, I, that th this area for me as a coach just became even more reinforced the, 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 the consistency with the model. The other thing that I learned is that uh, in a personal way is that um, you really have to put the priorities at the right place uh, because, you know, you understand this when you get older uh, and the life is too fast. And this year I saw a lot of people losing people close to me and uh, in different ways through to divorces or, or, or health. And uh, what I question is really, yes, I want soccer to be a big part, a big important part in my life. But when it becomes my life, I actually become worse as the person and as a coach. And that is the other area that I, I, I learned. Your two years into your time at the Whitecaps, you've got one year left on the deal. You don't, no one knows what the future holds in store. Do you feel under extra pressure this coming year to try and get the things implemented and changed that you wanted to when you first came in? I uh, look at where the club was before I arrived and where it is today. And when I look at uh, where it is today, uh, even with a sporting director, a scouting department that is extremely active, um, I say I would have loved to arrive into a club with the things that are in place today. So when it comes to the background of what was built uh, in the club, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that or I will continue or the person that's going to come after me is going to come to a setup that is in a much better place when it comes to uh, having a scouting department in place, a technical director in place. Uh, I think that or a sporting director in place, I think that has, it will help the club a lot. Uh, what I want is to stay. So if I want to stay, uh, I want to make sure that the club uh, has another step forward from uh, from last season. And that step forward, hopefully, is going to uh, be uh, to make the playoffs. So last two things. What are you most looking forward to in 2021? Uh, I'm looking forward to see what the league's going to be about. Honestly, I, you know, it's, it's so much in the air still, so many things that what I'm looking forward to is, what is it going to look like? You know, we're not even talking yet about schedule. We're not talking about pre-season. Normally, these are all things that are pretty much starting to get set. So I'm looking just forward to, okay, how is the league going to look like and the other thing is, who are the guys that are going to come in to help the core get to the next level? And it's still, we're still working on it, but I'm looking forward to see, okay, finally, who are going to be these guys? And just to finish up then, what, what do the next few weeks look like for you? Because obviously you can't fly around and scout, you can't fly down to drafts and all that kind of stuff. So... How does the next three to four weeks shape out for you? It's uh, very similar to what we've been doing since the, maybe we when we came back from Portland, we had 
two, three days that we didn't connect with anyone as a staff, even with Axel, we said, guys, let's, for the sake of our families, let's just not answer phones and two, three days without, uh, without, and I think we arrived on a Monday and then we just connected again on a Thursday. So we tried those, those two, three days to only be uh, with the family. But after that, it's what my next three, four weeks are going to look like. It's what it's been like since then. Um, a lot of video, a lot of time spent uh, video connecting with, with Axel, with the staff, re scouting reports, uh, talking with the scouts, looking at that of some of the players that we're, we want to bring, look at what the things that were not done well, especially in our last 10 games and what was done well, because that's a reference for us to work on the next year. Uh, evaluating position by position where we could become better, deals that could be made in the league. That's how we spend the day. And now it's going to be until first day of preseason. Well, thank you so much as always for your time, Mark. Have a wonderful Christmas with you your too, family Mark. and New Year as well. And I'll speak to you in 2021. Thank you, Michael. MDS there, his 2020 State of the Whitecaps chat with us. We only had 45 minutes with him. We could have probably talked for twice that amount of time. There's a whole host of other questions I, I never got around to. The way I like to kind of do these chats is I, I don't really write questions down. I kind of just jot down some topics, some headings on a bit of paper and just kind of go with the flow of the conversation. It does mean that a lot of the time some stuff isn't covered. But we'll unpack some of the stuff that he did say and that we did talk about after this. Hi, I'm Maxim Kripo from the Vancouver Whitecaps and you're listening to the EFTN Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it was the second of tonight's songs from our Artist of the Month for December, Husker Du, with a third track from their fourth studio album this time, Flip Your Wick, released in September 1985, and that was Makes No Sense At All. And nothing makes you feel old than realising that a song that you've played many times over the years is actually 35 years old. 
certainly doesn't feel like it. Still sounds very fresh today. But boy, 35 years ago, Husker Du were playing those songs. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Something else, of course, that is crazy is MLS. Sometimes that makes no sense at all. Sometimes some of the, the Whitecaps decisions have made no sense at all over the years, especially when it comes to some of their player signings. Quite a lot of them, as I, I mentioned to MDS there, especially the big name DPs, or at least the DPs, maybe not big names, have been something of a flop. Making this transfer window, this off-season, we've said it before, we'll say it again. One of the most important in the club's MLS era. It does feel like we're saying that every year now. We need to change the record. The only way to change that record is to actually make it happen. Will this be the year? Fingers crossed. But just to unpack a little bit of what we talked about there with Mark. And we'll delve into it in a little bit more detail when we get Steve and Zach back on the show next time round. But there was a a few interesting topics raised there. Talking about the defence, it's good to hear him, and then Axel mentioned it before, that they are looking to strengthen the defence. And like Mark is spot on, you look around the league, Nashville's obviously the one that you hold up, but they're certainly not the only team. But a lot of the teams that have done well defensively, look very solid at the back, are guys that have that experienced head in there. And we we simply don't have that at all. And as he mentioned there, you've got your main three guys. They're all international players. Eric Godoy, Ranko, Jasser Kimiri. All guys that have various experience around the world. But Godoy's the only one that had any MLS experience really under his belt going into this season. And of course, he was injured for most of it. I do feel that is a position that really needs addressed. They have to try and get a kind of experienced head in there. And you saw it this year. When Andy Rose was back there playing in, in the middle of the defence, he kind of helped Ranko come along, he kind of marshaled that defence, and that's the kind of guy that we need in there, but a guy that is an actual established centre-back and a little bit younger perhaps as well. Could he be the guy that MDS was talking about as maybe being this bumper-gam trade that, that they've been looking at? would certainly make a lot of sense, especially if they are looking at bringing in a a midfielder from overseas in the designated player role or even young designated player role. Of course, as we we talked about in the last show, I would bust the bank to try and bring Mark Anthony Kay here from LAFC and he speaks very highly of MDS, MDS speaks very highly of him, they've worked together before and it just would seem a perfect fit for club and player. Maybe not as successful in theory as LAFCR, but maybe Mark is the guy that could spark some kind of success here in Vancouver. But I do think that experienced head could be defensive that, that we're kind of looking at. When you look at the last couple of seasons, and there's been some bumper trades made around the league. Not all of them have worked. Some of them have been a, a, a flop. But, I mean, your FC Cincinnati acquiring Nick Haglin from Toronto FC in exchange for $300,000 in total allocation money, as well as top spot in the allocation order. At the time, that seemed quite a a lot to be paying for Haglund. But it kind of set the tone as to to what a few of these expansion teams were going to be doing. 
Nashville last year broke the records for a interleague trade for a defender, paying LAFC $600,000 in allocation money in 2020, with a further 350000 going to them next year, as well as incentives based on games played, which could altogether total $1.25 million for Walker Zimmerman. Obviously, that worked out well. Zimmerman named MLS Defender of the Year, Nashville having a very solid defence as a result. And the other big centre-back trade that we kind of talked about in our chat with MDS there was Ike Opara going to Minnesota United. Not an expansion side when that happened. They'd been in the league for a couple of years. But Minnesota paid Sport in Kansas City $900,000 in TAM which then rose to a million with certain incentives being met. So, I mean, teams are not afraid to trade this garber box money to try and solidify their defence, and I really think that is what the Whitecaps need to do right now. As to who that player would be, that is a whole other discussion. We'll have that next time. But let us know, who would you like to see the Whitecaps break the bank for in terms of a, a trade within the league for GAM, TAM, players, allocation, draft picks, whatever you want to throw in. Who are the players that you feel realistically the Whitecaps could try and make a deal for? I mentioned Mark Anthony Kay there, maybe a central defender. So please let us know on Twitter at AFT in Canada or shoot us an email aftncanada at hotmail.com with what player you would like to see the Whitecaps try and break the bank to bring here. Now, one of the other things we talked to MDS about there was this kind of clarification as to who are they looking to bring in? Is it a pure number 10? Is it an 8 that can play a 10? Is it a 10 that they're going to expect to be playing as an 8? And certainly some interesting comments from him there. His belief that the, the actual kind of pure number 10s are becoming less and less in the game. And in a lot of ways they are. I mean, there's a number of teams that play very fluid, that maybe don't have their set formation. Players kind of move around all over the place. But it was positive to hear him saying that the guy that comes in, he's looking for him to be more in the final third, the final line of the pitch, and not the guy that's having to tra- track back and do the defending and do the, the grunt work and get the move going at the same time. So, I mean, that can only be a positive. Hopefully, the target will come off. I mean, it sounds that Mark knows who he wants to bring in, but it's whether they can land that or not, it, it's hard to say. Obviously, you've got all the COVID issues, possible quarantine, family stuff, things like that as well. But you just have to keep fingers crossed that they do get the right guy. I'd be looking at Argentina or Mexico. I mean, to me, that's the the two places you want to look at to bring a guy that can be successful in this league. And it is also going to be interesting to see what kind of players, what countries they're targeting for these young designated player roles. Now, MLSsoccer.com's Tom Bogart had mentioned on one of his recent podcasts that there's still not a final decision made as to whether clubs can have both three senior DPs and three young DPs. I mean, the the indication that Axel had kind of given was that was what the Whitecaps were looking at doing, having three fully blown DPs and three young DPs. But it looks like that hasn't been ratified yet, and it might be that you're faced with the choice of do you go for two senior DPs and three young DPs, 
Or if you have three senior DPs, you're only allowed one young designated player. Now, there's two ways to look at that. Some folk would probably argue, and I saw Caleb Balkins on Twitter arguing this today, that you want to go for the three young designated players and just stick with your two senior guys. But then, as MDS said there, you look around the league and what young designated players have really made an impact, and you can pretty much count them on the one hand. For every Diego Rossi, there's a lot that haven't made the grade. So I would rather we splash the cash and get a a decent number 10 in and the one young designated player, and we kind of take it from there. But I think in summary, the, the, the thing to really take from this is Mark's not planning on going anywhere. He's wanting to build this team. He's confident about what lies ahead for 2021. Proof of the pudding, of course, is in the eating. And in this case, the signing. So, I mean, Mark said the feeling is that the owners are prepared to put their hands in the pocket. We have heard stuff like this before. We have to see the proven results. Then we have to see how it all works on the pitch. But I mean, I'm excited for what next year is going to bring after hearing that. Hopefully you are too. Let us know your thoughts on what MDS said there. Any concerns you've got, just how you're feeling after that who you'd like to see them target or bring in, and we'll talk about that next time round when Steve and Zach join us. So let's take a little bit of a break from the football chat for now to bring you this week's Wavelength. And for this week, we're going back to 2013, so we're keeping it in the decade at least, and it's a Manchester band called Parlour Flames. This is a song from their self-titled debut album, Now, what's interesting about this band is it features a certain Paul Arthurs. Does that name ring a bell for many people? If it doesn't, you might know him better as Bonehead from Oasis. The former guitarist left Oasis in 1999 and eventually formed this new band, Parlour Flames, in 2013. They only released the one album. This is a song from it. This is pop music, football and girls.
Flames there, pop music, football and girls, taken from their self-titled debut album in 2013 and featuring Paul Bonehead Arthurs. Hope you enjoyed that one. We love our pop music, we love our football and we love our girls here on the AFTN Soccer Show. We also love a good draft. The football variety, not the cold one that's coming through my window as I record this right now. And it's just as well that we like that, because MLS is full of them. And this is the week, the week before Christmas, where it's draft crazy. And of course, we've got a new expansion team in the league this year. MDS talked about how the Whitecaps kind of acted a little bit like an expansion team in 2018. Well, this year, there is another expansion team. Coming into the league in 2021, Austin FC. We played a little bit of audio from their sporting director, Claudia Arena and head coach Josh Wolf on last week's show. We're going to bring you some more from them in the next part as they look at their busy week of action in the draft and some trades that they've done. And we'll also look around the rest of MLS and how the four MLS sides fared in the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals that took place this week. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Center, help me, cause I'm stupid and blind. And desperation is the devil's work, it is the folly of a boy's empty mind. Now I'm feeling dangerous, riding on city buses for a hobby itself. Lead me to a living end, I promise that I'd entertain my crippled friend, my crippled friend. I give myself to sin, I gave myself to providence, and I'm there and back again, stay that I am. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 
101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a classic song from a classic Scottish band. It's a band, I don't know why I haven't featured them as Artists of the Month so far. I will remedy that in 2021. From Glasgow, Scotland, Bell and Sebastian, with a song they're taking from their debut album Tiger Milk, released in 1996, The State I Am In. It's also a song you can find on their absolutely fantastic Dog on Wheels EP. That was the, the first EP I heard by Bell and Sebastian. The title track and the state that I am in, the first two Bell and Sebastian songs I, I ever heard and have loved them ever since. So I'll bring you some more songs from the band in the new year, I'm pretty sure. But the reason I picked that one is the state I am in. So we've heard from Mark DeSantis in the first two parts there, talking about the state of the White Caps. In the final part of tonight's show, we're going to hear from Terry Henry and Olivier Renard about the state of the Montreal Impact. And then sandwiched in between, we're going to be looking at the state of the newest club in MLS, Austin FC, joining the league as an expansion club in 2021. And they've had a very busy week, signing players in the half-day draft window as well as their expansion draft on Tuesday. So we're going to look over a little bit just now as to what Austin have been doing, how they are building their, their side for next year. Head coach Josh Wolf, an MLS veteran, has spoken about wanting to play 4-3-3. That's the identity he sees the, the Texans having next year. And they were busy getting their pieces put together. Started on Sunday in the half-day trade window. Five trades were done and they, they picked up a player I would love to have had here uh, in Vancouver as well, in Nick Lima from San Jose Earthquakes, and has scored seven goals and had seven assists in his short time in San Jose, over a hundred regular season appearances, and he's a guy that I know when I was first speaking to, to MDS when he became Whitecaps coach and he was talking about players, the kind of players that he would really want to have here, Nick Lima was a name that he had kind of thrown out, so I know that he's a, a kind of player that really interested MDS, clearly interested Austin as well. They also made a trade with Inter-Miami to bring defender Ben Sweat. Another defender came from Portland Timbers, Julio Cascanti. The 27-year-old Costa Rican centre-back is clearly going to be marshalling their defence next year. Austin also added a midfielder, Ulysses Segura from DC United, and a forward, John Gallagher from Atlanta United. So they had five players added then, they got a chance to add another five players in Tuesday's expansion draft. Now, heading into this one from a Whitecaps point of view, we talked about it on the last show as to who you would protect, who you wouldn't protect. And I said I wouldn't protect Derek Cornelius in this draft. MDS obviously agreed, didn't protect him. That kind of raised a few eyebrows and a little bit of ire and worry amongst the, the Whitecaps fan base on social media. I don't think it was a risk that he was going to get taken. The only thing that may have gone in his favour was Austin drafted young and they were looking for kind of young guys either with potential or with a bit of experience. In the latter part of that, Cornelius ticks that, had his time with the Whitecaps but has also had time over in Europe as well and a Canadian international. But he did survive the draft, he wasn't picked, he's still a Whitecap player. But Austin ended up drafting five guys and trading one of them away. Their very first pick 
surprised a few people. It was San Jose Earthquakes Dutch forward Danny Hussen. Hussen has had four seasons in MLS with the Earthquakes, scoring 23 goals and adding 12 assists in 105 appearances, 65 of those being starts. Was used quite sparingly this year though. Only made eight appearances, only three of those were starts and just added one goal. He was also out of contract at the end of this season. He could have been available to Austin in the re-entry draft, but they decided to, to draft him here instead. Didn't want to talk about the salary aspect of it, whether they would be meeting his high salary demands or what. Of course, he might not even end up signing for Austin. They, they might possibly trade him away or he might decide that he wants to go back to Europe. But that was definitely an interesting pickup, adding a, an out-and-out number nine striker. Their second pick was New York Red Bulls midfielder Jared Stroud. That was followed by Nashville goalkeeper Brady Scott. Kind of an inexperienced goalkeeper with a lot of potential. You would fancy him to probably be their third string keeper. Maybe pushing for second. He won't be their starter. And then their fourth pick really pleased me. 2020, the year of the coronavirus. I mean, for a draft to take place this year... There's only one player, surely, you could pick in this expansion draft, and Austin did that. Yes, the Corona is heading to Texas. It's pretty well embedded in there anyway, but Joe Corona in this case, LA Galaxy's US international midfielder Joe Corona is heading to Austin. Corona ended up being their fourth pick, and the last of the picks that they were keeping there, because their fifth and final pick was Canadian centre-back Kamal Miller, Selected from Orlando, but immediately traded to Montreal. He's coming back to Canada. He is an Ontario boy, though, not a Quebec boy, but he's still coming back to Canada, with Montreal giving up 225000 in general allocation money, and their first-round pick in the upcoming MLS Super Draft, which is the 11th pick overall, as well as 50000 in conditional general allocation money. Pretty good deal for both parties there. Austin were keen to to get some more GAM, and we soon find out why the next day as well. But they're happy with that pickup. Montreal certainly happy as well with adding another Canadian to their backline, and definitely a win-win situation for both teams there. So some interesting drafting there from Austin FC. Sporting director Claudio Reyna has already been through a, a draft with New York City FC a few years ago now. So I got a chance to jump on the post-draft call with Reyna and head coach Josh Wolfe. So I got to ask them a couple of questions. I'm just going to bring you some selected highlights from that call just now. Just chatting about the draft, the selections that they made, just strategy in general, what they're looking to do, and trading away Kamal Miller. Uh, sticking with the Husen pick, can you just kind of walk us through the thought process or, or the, the explanation of like the minutia of, you know, selecting a player that would have been available in the reentry draft? I guess, you know, what are the pros and cons of taking him now? And if the club has kind of already agreed to a, a new deal with him? Well, there's other uh, options as well in reentry that we want to consider. So we felt uh, given the list, um, you know, the expansion list that, you know, we want to be aggressive and, and, and go get guys. And I think uh, showing our commitment, uh, our desire to go get them. Again, there's there's good players all over this league that could be just slightly, in, you know, diff- different uh, situation and, again, need a change. And it's my experiences is always finding 
good players that sort of, again, need a new opportunity. So um, we wanted to go and, and, and show them our commitment and, and not wait for him. And, and, and uh, again, we believe uh, that he's going to be someone that's going to make an impact to our team. He's got experience. He's calm. Um, and so, again, when we looked at the list uh, and everybody available, you know, we just thought he's someone that is going to right from the beginning help us. He'll get fit. We have a great medical staff and performance team that'll get him up to speed. We got plenty of time. We know that he's, uh, you know, been working hard already and is in, and is in a, at a good level in terms of ready to go. So everything added up and, you know, we're just really excited about it. Again, a player that, you know, I've watched closely in this league when we played against him in New York, um, really impressed me and caused us a, a, a lot of trouble. And uh, again, with the way we want to play, Josh, myself in particular, we all really felt that he'd be someone who seamlessly fit into how we're going to build the team. You've obviously added quite a few players over the last couple of days, guys from the league with MLS experience. Just wondering how much importance are you placing on having guys that know the league and have an MLS experience in this first season? And how busy do you expect to be in these drafts that's coming up over the next couple of days, as well as free agency, as Claudio touched on there? Yeah, I think... uh... There's just quality. I think we, you know, we look always uh, in the internal market in MLS with the different mechanisms we've had. Um, and of course, of course, we continue to look uh, abroad internationally. We have eight international spots, um, which we filled with two players and Cecilio and, and Rodney. So we're going to continue to add players and, um, you know, continue to be aggressive and, and add place, uh, players with experience, some youth. Um, it, we do feel it's important uh, players that, know our, our league, uh, our opponents, the style of play, the different challenges that exist in MLS. But at the same time, those players also be important in, in, in helping our international players adapt uh, as well. So, yeah, we, we, we just see good players in, in our league, and that's what we've, we've gone out and, and been aggressive to add to the squad. And we're really happy where we're at. We're going to continue to look at everything in the coming days and, and, and see if we can uh, continue to build our squad. Thank you, Claudia. Josh, anything you want to add to that for, for Michael? Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. The, the, the balance at which you build a team with, with MLS experience, with, with international experience um, uh, is really important. And it, it goes into how you build out the locker room. You want that camaraderie, that chemistry on the field. And, and it starts with, with, with what the culture and the environment is off the field, the way you train, the way you prepare, kind of the way these guys live together. And um, we have a, want, a way we want to play. It's about the collective. It's about the group. And, and, and the first way you start with that is, is building, a, building a, a cohesive group. And um, we, we'll have players from all over the world. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a small family, a tight family. And um, that, that's, for us, that's the most important way to build it. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's something that Claudio and I focus on, uh, not just the quality of the player, but, but the quality of the person. Yeah, guys, uh, one for both of you. And, and I know you spoke on wanting to get uh, balance and age, but also around the pitch. And uh, it seems like you really went for that both in the trade window and uh, today in the expansion draft. I just wonder if you, if you could speak on, on you know, the players that were available, but also wanting to get balance and whether you've sort of achieved that, that game plan that you set out uh, on and, and how you feel about the balance of the squad. We, we feel good. I think we, that's, that was, you know, part of the goal um, with the trades and also expansion draft. And 
you know, with each addition to the squad, it helps filter our decisions and, and just find the right pieces to continue to add. So we obviously still have more work to do, but um, certainly with the trades and expansion, being able to get domestic players um, who know our league spread out throughout different areas, um, you know, back line and an attack as well, a few in midfield that, you know, we feel pretty good. we got a goalkeeper, uh, but certainly the work continues. we got we got more uh, players to add, and and um, again, we'll be we'll be busy uh, over the next coming weeks, and and continue to add to, to build this squad. But we feel good, and you know, we, we got uh, you know more and more players added to the squad, and and it's just coming to life, which is great. Hey, Claudio, I just wanted to ask quickly about the uh, the Kamal Miller trade. So Miller is a promising young defender that probably would have been a decent fit as well, but uh, it seems like you ended up getting some some decent allocation money out of it. So can you just expand a little bit on the logic behind that trade? Well, yeah, we were, we were hopeful to get some allocation money back in the expansion draft. And, uh, you know, the amount we got was, was, was great for us. And yeah, he is a good player. Obviously he attracted interest from, from a few teams on top of that, um, you know, getting the number 11 draft pick uh, in the super draft in, in January, thought was also another nice pickup. And then, you know, we have targets uh, in that position that that we're we're looking at uh, at the moment. So we just felt comfortable enough to to kind of make that move, uh, bring in those assets, kind of replenish some of it that we've that we've given out for some of the players. And you know, there's also some conditions as well to to add it on to the 225. So again, it was it was a uh, something we wanted to do. And again. Um, the amount really surprised us. I believe it was the highest ever in, in an expansion draft. Uh, again, with the addition of a college pick that, you know, we think we can, if, you know, add another another uh, squad member there. So, yeah, just good. I think Montreal is also happy because they get a good player. Um, you know, Canadian goes back to Canada and, and will fit into their system. So I think it was it was a win-win for, for both teams. Clyde, I'm just wondering, you've obviously been through expansion drafts, bringing an expansion team into the league before in New York City. That was with another team. Obviously, you've just got the floor to yourself this time. But can you talk a little bit about the difference that you've seen in the league and how you've maybe had to change doing things for Austin for this week as opposed to what it was like for NYC? Well, there's many differences, starting with... um, Austin just being alone, the, the, the sole team coming in with expansion and not having to react to another team like we did back with Orlando FC when I was at New York City in the, in the expansion draft back then. Uh, there's more allocation money, um, different mechanisms to acquire players that didn't exist back then as well. Um, and, and just in general, a, a, you know, a, a higher level of, of players and quality that's now in the system in our league. With that, though, um, you know, there's an extra player protected. And back then we had, there was 11, when now there's 12. There's also more players that are auto-protected through homegrowns and, and um, you know, other mechanisms as well. So, you know, the, I, 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 there was more teams exempt this time around. So it, it was challenging, but I, I do think, you know, credit to uh, MLS and, and trying to keep the expansion teams in really in a fair opportunity to build good squads, um, you know, with, with just the different uh, allocated cash that we have, there's more gam than we had back then as well. And obviously Tam now that we have in the league to bring players from outside the system. 
Um, and also free agency. The, the bar has been lowered in terms of uh, players being eligible for free agency, which didn't exist back then. So, you know, we've had to weigh everything up, um, you know, and, and sort of not just expansion draft in itself, but the allocation money that exists now and also um, these other mechanisms. So, you know, the sequence of it as well that, you know, free agency comes just after expansion draft and, and us hopefully being able to add a few more players through that. Um, but yeah, it was certainly, you know, in, in many ways it was the same because it was that anxiety of, of who we're going to pick. Um, but really the, the biggest difference really was being able to control it ourselves and, and, and make all the picks. Josh, uh, how much, uh, what you have right now, what you're looking for, uh, what is the percentage of the 100% of the players of the team on one side experience and one side young and with good development still? And also profile of the team. How do you want to look uh, on the field? Yeah, I think there's a couple questions in there, but uh, but I'll, I'll do my best with Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think you know. I think the balance is a big part of it. I think we we've we've constantly talked about Claudio and myself about uh, the age uh, of our team having the right amount of experience, the right amount of youth. Um, but we want players that have dynamic and have power and speed. And and again, we we want to play a certain way, and it's going to take some a level of physicality, and it's also going to take a level of quality and calm and control to to deal with situations. So. Um, you get a little bit more of that with with experienced players sometimes, but your young guys can help give you the the, the power, speed, and capacity to run. But but I think so far we have we have 11 players, so we're, we're, we technically have enough players to field a field a team, which is good. We're probably missing some spots, but um, uh, we have a lot of a lot of work to do ahead of us. Obviously, a couple mechanisms coming up within MLS, but um, you know we'll, we'll continue to build, and it's going to be in a um, in a responsible way that that again maintains that consistency to what we've talked about the balance of international and domestic and the balance of uh, the youth and the, and the experience because it's really important on the field and off the field so some interesting stuff there from austin fc sporting director claudio reina and head coach josh wolf it's been interesting watching these expansion teams over the last couple of years i mean it's something that coming from the kind of football culture that I've come in in the UK, expansion teams, drafts, things like that, has been quite alien to me. I, I do genuinely like a draft. It's like I, I do find them kind of, they can be exciting, they can be boring, they're often very interesting, but I do like watching how a team kind of gets built from scratch. And it's obviously something that Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantis enjoys. He, he's done it in Ottawa. He's done it at San Francisco Deltas. Whitecaps in 2018 was like a, an expansion, but clearly it, it wasn't a pure expansion and didn't go fantastically well either, we have to be honest. But these new teams coming in are kind of setting the bar as to, to what is expected now of expansion teams. You've had some teams come in recently that, that have struggled. FC Cincinnati have struggled from day one. They're still struggling today. Orlando City and Minnesota United, they struggled initially, but they've both started to kind of reap the, the fruits of their labours now and they've kind of started to turn things around. Both had excellent 2020 seasons. I mean, Atlanta came in and kind of set the bar immediately, but obviously they splashed a lot of money in, in the process as well. So maybe they're 
an outlier in this because there's not going to be a lot of teams that can maybe live up to, to what Atlanta did. But it was fascinating to see how well Nashville did this year. So many things went on for Nashville in their debut year in the league. Missing the MLS's back tournament through COVID, changing conferences to become an Eastern team, making the playoffs, playing a style of football under Gary Smith that a lot of people don't enjoy watching, but I do feel it is effective. You build from defence first and you get results that way. What will Austin be? That's what everyone is kind of wondering just now. Are they going to be like a Nashville or are they more going to be like FC Cincinnati? I kind of think with the, the knowledge that is there, because I mean, Reyna has had, what, six, seven years at, at NYCFC. So he's learned a lot there. Seen what, what happens well, what goes wrong. I asked him there, as you heard, just how this draft was a little bit different for him than the draft he went through with NYCFC. But I think Nashville showed the importance of having those MLS players with experience. And Austin are looking to have this mix of some young guys, but some experienced heads in there as well, experience of the league and experience in overseas football. So they're big splashes that they're going to make next year when the transfer window opens, designated player additions, stuff like that. That's going to be very fascinating to watch just how they build this team. Might not like, in fact hate, the way that Austin ended up getting this team, jumping ahead at others, everything that happened with Precourt in Columbus. But, I mean, Austin's a city that I've always found a, a wonderful city. It's a place I've wanted to visit. I've wanted to go and see South by Southwest there. It seems a great culture. And it's got a good footballing history as well with the Aztecs, who have been kind of messed around themselves over the years. So I am genuinely fascinated and curious as to how well they, they do there and will be keeping a close eye on them. It's also a, a city that I do want to, to pay a visit to. Probably won't be happening in 2021, so maybe 2022. I just think that'll be a, a fantastic road trip and one that'll be definitely the, the top of the list for a lot of supporters uh, around the league. But we mentioned there Claudio Arena's connections with NYCFC. We also talked about the fact that they traded Kamal Miller away for a bunch of gam. And you're thinking, well, why would you maybe not want to keep the player? Why would you be needing that gam? Well, we soon find out on Thursday when the latest of these bumper MLS trades was announced. Talked about it in the last part, covered it a little bit with MDS as well. New York City FC's Finnish captain, Alex Ring, making the move from the Big Apple to Austin. In a deal that saw New York get 500000 in 2021 general allocation money, 250000 in 2022 GAM, and performance-related additional sums on top of that as well. Definitely a big splash. Ring has spent four seasons in MLS so far, 120 career appearances, 10 goals, 13 assists, captaining the side and has definitely been a key player for them. And as we talked about, these sides come in and they're not afraid to just throw these Garber bucks about and make these big splashes. And clubs like the Whitecaps, they, they need to try and do this. They just need to try and keep up with these sides to get that imp important MLS experience into their ranks as well. So we'll keep an eye on Austin over the, the coming weeks and months as well. I've enjoyed jumping on the, the calls with him in the, the last week or so. We'll bring some more of those when we can. And Ring's former side, NYCFC, were involved in the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals that took place this past week. 
The final is coming up on Tuesday and it's going to be an absolute cracker. Mexican powerhouse Tigris taking on MLS's LAFC. LAFC, fantastic in their two games so far. We'll come to them shortly. But just to have a, a kind of look at the, the action that has played out in this past week, it is a weird time to have this tournament. But it kind of works, it fills the void. I've really enjoyed watching the games. I'm glad TSN decided to show all the games. It, it's just been great to, to follow it. So hopefully you have been watching at home. Things were not going well for the, the MLS sides to start things off. We'll come to Montreal in the next part. They played on Tuesday, as did New York City FC. Trailing 1-0 to Tigris from the, the first leg of their quarterfinal way back in March, they went down to a heavy 4-0 loss on Tuesday night. And it's been tough for the MLS teams because they, they've just had 23-24 days off, longer in Atlanta's case as well, so trying to get back into the swing of things was certainly tough. So that, that was a, a heavy 5-0 aggregate defeat for NYCFC. I'll just play a little bit of audio now from a question I asked head coach Ronnie Dahlia on the post-match press conference. Uh, hi, Ronnie. It's obviously been a, a difficult year and a difficult season, but you can now finally draw a line under. When you look at where the team sits just now, back to where it was when it started uh, at the end of February, what's the biggest positives that, that you can take out of this season to build upon now going into next year? I think we have improved um, um, our play, you know, defensively. We, we defend in a better way than we, we did. Uh, now everybody's doing uh, a job, um, much more compact in, uh, in what we do. Um, we're creating chances and winning football games. Uh, the last um, 17 games, I think we had 11 victories, three draw and three um, three losses. Um, and also when we come into the playoff game, we were very close to to do uh, to do go through against Orlando, um, but uh, there was penalty in the end. It's small details now that we need to improve to to be a team that uh, really can fight for the title, and that's what we want to do next year. We we need to keep on uh, building our culture, building our style of play. At the same time, we we need to add uh, some players now because we have lost some on the way, um, and uh, and also it's important to get some new blood in now so we we can get. Uh, get something uh, extra into the team. Ronnie Dahlia there, just given his thoughts as to what NYCFC need to do now to try and build on how they were this year. Finished fifth in the East, made the playoffs, bounced out though in that amazing penalty shootout to, to Orlando City. But certainly signs are, are there that he's he's got a good base to build on. Wednesday night saw Atlanta United crash out. 3-1 in aggregate against Club America. They did win on the night, though. A goal from Jackson Conway with eight minutes to go gave him a 1-0 win over the Mexicans. And in the second game of Wednesday night, LAFC, great fighting spirit shown from them. This was a, a game that they hadn't actually managed to get the first leg played back in March. So this was just a one-off straight, kind of good old-fashioned cup tie. LAFC against Cruz Azul. Cruz Azul took the lead from the spot Jotun scoring in the 15th minute. Tied up though, seven minutes before half-time from Carlos Vela. And then Mahala getting the winning goal for LAFC in the 71st minute to have a very historic win for the black and gold. Moving them into the semi-finals and another tough game 
against Club America this time, another Mexican powerhouse. And if you didn't see that game on Saturday night, please go and find it. Check it out. Madness. Fantastic, but madness. And a game that definitely highlights why VAR, which has many faults, but if there's one region that needs to have VAR, it's CONCACAF. And I think this game showed you why. Club America took the lead from Caceres 12 minutes in. And you're starting to think at that point, ah, this is this is going to be a tough ask now for, for LAFC. Made even tougher when Eduardo Atesta was sent off just before half-time. Should never have been sent off. Ochoa, in the Club America goal, made the most of an incident. Atuesta then gets pushed over. There was no action taken there, but straight red for Atuesta. After that, the game got really chippy. Things happened at half-time. Coaches were sent off. Just crazy stuff, but a goal down, a man down. The writing looked on the wall for LAFC. But what a second-half performance. Amazing fighting spirit, again, shown by the LA side. Carlos Vela, two goals in a minute to start the second half in the 46th and 47th minute, had them in dreamland and really had them in the ascendancy. Even though they were a man down, they were looking really comfortable. And of course, that then meant America had to kind of push forward to, to try and tie things up. But their own case wasn't helped when they actually went down to 10 men themselves. Louis Reyes seeing a, a straight red for a tackle on Diego Rossi late in the game. And then Club America tried to get a few things going, weren't really able to get anything done. And then Latif Blessing, five minutes into second half stoppage time, puts the game to bed with basically the last kick of the game. A 3-1 win for LAFC. Into the final now, taking on Tigris, who saw off Olympia 3-0. Olympia had come through against Montreal on Tuesday night. Montreal won in the night, but 2 all in aggregate saw Olympia go through on away goals. And this final on Tuesday, 7, 7 o'clock Pacific time, it's going to be in TSN. It should be an absolute cracker. Can LAFC become the first MLS side to lift the trophy? It's going to be a tough ask, but I wouldn't put it past them at this point, the way that they've been playing, the confidence that they've got, the momentum that they've got, and the form that Vela seems to be in when he's playing these Mexican teams as well. So just round off this part with a little bit of audio from LAFC head coach Bob Bradley. I really wanted to, to ask him what it would mean to him personally to with everything that he's achieved in the game in America, for him to be the first coach to deliver a CONCACAF Champions League to, to an MLS team, what that would mean to him. Fortunately, wasn't picked in the, the press conference to ask a question. But going to bring you a little bit of audio from Bob Bradley just now, just talking about the win and just what it means to him and to the club. Yeah, amazing effort by the guys. Uh, at halftime, we, we felt that we would still win the game. I mean, I, I didn't expect that. A couple minutes into the second half, Carlos would have already scored twice. But the mentality at halftime, the intensity throughout the second half, the way guys like Pancho and Latif came on uh, and were able to help, uh, just a, a team effort where commitment and, and the intensity was just awesome. So, you know, we've tried over the years to just have a, a way of playing and a style um, but to go with it. We, we've constantly tried to find a way that we can develop that that kind of mentality to win tough games, uh, to get to finals. 
I think we've learned from some of the moments that slipped away from us. And tonight you could see the concentration on so many guys, um, the guys in the back moving out, organizing, winning balls, uh, still finding moments to play. Um, so I'm really proud of everybody. And, uh, you know, Carlos uh, is such a special player, special leader, captain, and uh, man, what a, what a night for him. Uh, you know, after all that you and the, your club have been through this year, what does it mean to have the chance to play in a Champions League final? Yeah, it's awesome. I said that. Those were my first words, I think, today. Um, you know, we, we, we lost 2018. We lost in the semifinals of the Open Cup. Uh, last year, we lost in the semifinals um, to Seattle. So we've, we, we know what it feels like. And, and semifinals are the games where, man, everybody feels the pressure and, 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 and because, because getting to a final is so special. And uh, you could sense that our group going into the game tonight and even at halftime, that whole idea that we were going to not, not stop, but we were going to find a way to get into the final, that was so clear. And that, that's the reason I'm so proud of these guys. And, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's how you grow as a club. Uh, I always say that we're, we're in our third season. And from the beginning, we had an idea of what kind of football we wanted to play and how we needed to connect with our fans and have an identity. And, you know, that doesn't mean that every result just goes your way. You've you got to keep trying to, to get better. You've got to develop that mentality. You've got to sometimes suffer a little bit. And, and we have. Uh, so to be in a final is, is, is really special. So Bob Bradley there just talking about LAFC's fantastic win over Club America on Saturday night. Tigris coming up on Tuesday. Make sure you put that in your diary. It's going to be an absolute cracker. But that is it for this part. As we mentioned, Montreal were also in the Champions League action. And the final part of tonight's show, we're going to be kind of having a little bit of a look at the state of the impact. Which, call them that while you can, because you might not be able to for much longer. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Carl Valentine. You're listening to the AFTN Podcast.
Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Christmas song for this week's episode. We played it on last year's Christmas special. We've got the other side of it coming up in this year's Christmas special. But that was German band Gurr, who were Artists of the Month here at AFTN way back in January. Remember then? Way happier times back then. And that was their song featuring Eddie Argos from the band Art Brute. That was Christmas Holiday. Hopefully you're all in the Christmas spirit. As I mentioned, we are going to have a Christmas special this year. It is, of course, going to be different to the Christmas specials we've had for the last three years. We're not able to get into the CITR studios. So it won't be fun-filled Christmas frolics on a Sunday night for you. We'll have a few Christmas tunes played in, but we've got a fun, unusual interview for you and a couple of fun segments as well. So watch out for that. Should drop Christmas Eve, might actually drop Christmas Day itself. But let's get back talking football now in this episode. We're going to continue looking at the state of an MLS team, going back to Canada this time, and the Montreal Impact. Now the big news that came out this week from Montreal is they confirmed the rumours that they are looking at changing their name Not their exact wording, but they are going to be changing their identity come 2021. So if the rumours are believed to be true, the impact name is dropping. Montreal FC is apparently what they're going to be going with. So we'll see if that is true. That's something that got announced after their end of season availability during the week. I got a chance to jump on that. We're going to bring you some of the audio that came out from that in this part. The Impact finished this year ninth in the East. That was good enough to take them into the playoffs with 10 teams from the East going through. But a first round playoff defeat at the hands of New England Revolution soon put paid to that. Gustavo Bowe's 95th minute winner for New England was the, the heartbreaking one for the Impact. But then they had to wait a whole 24 days before they could finally draw a line under their season. That game on Tuesday night against Olympia in Orlando in the CONCACAF Champions League. 1-0 win on the night. Wasn't enough to see them go through. 2 all draw is how it ended on aggregate, but Olympia went through as a result of their two goals that they got at the Big O way back in March. But overall, it's been an interesting season for Montreal. They're already looking ahead to next year. So I'm going to kick off the audio that we've got in this part it's just some of the, the words from Thierry Henry at this week's media availability. Most of the call was done in French. I wasn't, unfortunately, picked it to ask him a, a question this time around. The question I was going to ask him, though, was the one that kicks off this audio, which was I was just really curious to find out how he had grown as a coach this year. So here's Thierry Henry talking about that and a few other things as well. Coach, you've been on the job for one year now. Uh, what did you learn about yourself that will make you a better manager for 2021? Well, it's not that I learn about it. It's, you know, when you leave, something is different than, than when, you, when you hear about it, right? And so as a player, I could, I could have told you that emotionally the game is tough. But as a coach, I saw it even more this year. Obviously, even more so with what's been happening this year. I think emotionally, everyone, everyone found it really tough this year. But on a personal point of view, uh, at, a, at, a, at a 
job level, obviously, me being a coach, you know, the, the, the mental health uh, of the player, the integrity, the, the physical uh, integrity of the player, you know, is, is beyond everything that you can think of. We always talk about results. We always talk about them performing. We always talk about them not being good, not fighting enough. And rightly so, that's the way I am. And I will always call it if someone doesn't do it the right way, especially for the team, right? But you have to understand that players are human beings. And even more so, I knew that before, don't get me wrong, but even more so that, 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 that came out this year because it was very challenging on, on, on that aspect. So I learned a lot about that, that being a coach is a tough job and it was a tough job this year. You know, uh, I, can, I, I don't want to go into details of what happened and, 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 and so on, but uh, that's what I learned the most, that I knew it before, but I can definitely say it for sure now. You know, the emotional part of the game, the mental, mental part of the game, um, those guys, they need to be fresh there to be able to perform. So that's why every time after some games, I don't know if you understood what I meant, but I was saying that I can only admire those guys for what they, what they try to do at times. And I know it wasn't enough at times. And I know they didn't perform well all the time. But what we had to deal with was very difficult. And to be honest, uh, they, they, they try to do it to the T and, and, and battle all the way. And uh, that's, that's, that's the part that I knew of it. But I mean, I'm even more sure of it now. Um, I'd just like to ask, you know, you were just following on your last answer. Uh, people handle adversity in different ways. Sometimes you learn a lot about people when they go through adversity. So I just was wondering if you could give us a couple examples of certain players on your team who maybe showed you something that changed your evaluation of them either on or off the pitch uh, in, in a positive sense? Well, a lot, in all fairness. You know, I challenged Louis Bings all season. Uh, sometimes he did answer, sometimes he didn't answer. But overall, you have to understand that that was the first time that he was playing against men. Uh, he used to play on the 18 level, on the 19, 19-year-old, like 18-year-old. And I will say that he answered the call very, very well. But as, as a coach, I'm always going to push him to his limits because that's what you do. Amal Sedic, I pushed him also. I battled with him also all year to make sure that he was going to understand what was at stake and what he wants to do. Can he go in the national team? Does he want to go in the national team? He needs to work hard. So that's what he did. So um, a, lot, a lot of players, not only, not only those guys, you know, but, you know, Sam Piet, uh, uh, Clement Diop responded well. You know, it's, it's just the fact that for me that they came to battle all the time. And that last game uh, against, uh, against Olympia and how it was, and we had to go for quarantine again. And, and normally the season is already over and you have to go there. And, and I, I, like I said, you know, we, we picked and choose to take options, not options. Guys are going to stay or not to stay. But again, like, for example, like uh, Jackson, you know, he had a tough year. Sometimes he was injured, problem with his knees and, and, and whatnot. But for him to come and play uh, when he didn't have to uh, against, against Olympia showed the real desire that he had all the time that he was here for this ball club. And it's not only saying it that you care about the club, but he showed it. So all those guys, although he's, he's, he's not going to stay, all those guys gave me everything. I always respect that. Um, so that's, that's, that, that's more or less the same, you know, I'm not going to name all the players, but more or less those guys that always uh, try to give, uh, give, uh, give their best. And you, you take it for granted, last one, Victor Wanyama, didn't play for a month, came, played over there. Um, all those moments, you know, that you, that you obviously value. 
Could you speak about what you can um, take moving forward into next season from both this game and the year as a whole? Do you know more about your team, what needs to be done? Well, it's going to be an adjustment, obviously, because, you know, it's the end of the season. Uh, and so we see who's going to come, who's going to, who's going to finally definitely go. Uh, but like I said, when I arrived, uh, I said that this team is going to be a team that's going to fight. It didn't always happen all season. And, and when it didn't happen, I said it after, after some games, this team is going to try to play. And you saw that we're trying to play against anyone. Sometimes we got caught, as you know. But this team uh, is brave, wants to play fights. Uh, so we have to keep on doing that and we're better, obviously. Um, but today, for example, uh, when I see Louis and Rudy, the way they play with uh, those two strikers that are very difficult to deal with, um, that, was, uh, that was a play that we can uh, look forward for next season. Uh, Victor didn't play for, for at least a month and today in the second half, he, he seems like the more the game was going, the better he was. Amal did what Amal has been trying to do uh, recently. So, yeah, we 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 came we came short, but um, there's a lot of positive to take from uh, from from this season to to bring into uh, into next season. Thierry Henry there, fairly happy with with how his Montreal side have advanced this year. But was the man that kind of calls the shots above him happy with Thierry Henry's performance? Sporting director Olivier Renard, he spoke to media as well during the week. Just about a whole host of issues. Let's hear what he had to say. What was the thing this season that you were happiest with from seeing from your team? And on the other side of that, uh, what was your biggest disappointment with what you saw from the team this year? Well, the positive thing was uh, the fighting spirit that we had the last match. Uh, the last match maybe was the the more difficult game for everybody. You need to know that uh, more than one month ago, uh, nobody wants to go to play this game. And uh, when I saw after the game, the fighting spirit that we had against Olympia, that was for me the, with many young guys. I know that many people spoke that uh, we missed from that time an uh, important player. But, uh, but we we don't lose the qualification for the for that uh, Bojan was not there or, or another player. For me, was the fact the fact that we didn't train for 14 days. Otherwise, I think that we can make another result. But uh, the positive thing for me was the last match about uh, the mentality of the team, and it is what I want for the the, the future. Uh, the more difficult was maybe the. Yeah, the decision when I took the decision to to stay in uh, in New York after the the losing game against Orlando, uh, I took the decision for the club with the coach, and I know that for the player was uh, not so so positive thing to 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 her that uh, nobody go to the family, and uh, that was I know that that was a difficult day for everybody. But end of the story, we we play a good game against DC, and uh, that was a good for me the good. Uh, Good uh, choice, but difficult choice at that time. Hi, Olivier. I'm wondering if you can el- evaluate for us uh, Thierry's first year as manager. I am very happy with Thierry for many things. Uh, the election that uh, I know him from before, but uh, no, like no. No, we make uh, many days, many months together with the team and with him. We spoke many hours about football. 
And the more important thing for me is the work that he's doing with uh, with young kids and uh, the the progress that uh, Louis Dings uh, made this year. Uh, that was Mr. Nobody. Uh, I saw him play with uh, the under 23 from Tottenham, but he never played with uh, with big guys against big guys. In this league, it's not easy for him, but he learned a lot. Uh, the progression of Zach Bobiar also, the progression of uh, Amar Sejic. And, uh, and I, I am sure that in the future he will, he will continue this job with, uh, with the young player. Uh, we have, it's not finished. We need to, to improve many, many things. But, uh, Thierry is, uh, 200% in the, in the project with me. And, uh, I'm happy with that. When you look at where this team sits just now to where it sits a year ago, what growth have you seen in the last year? Are you happy with that growth? And what are your, your key targets looking forward now for the next couple of weeks but it's very different to uh, difficult to explain the difference between before and now with uh, this year was a special year with uh, all what you know and what uh, what happens with the covid situation but uh, the more important thing for me is what we we say one year ago with uh, the age of the team uh, we want a more uh, uh, young player and that's what we, we try to do and we want to do for the, the future also. Uh, we change. What we say uh, 12 months ago happens now. And uh, that, that means that uh, we are not speaking for nothing. But I know that we need to change many things also. Uh, quality of player, mentality of player, uh, few players. Uh, but uh, I, am, uh, I am satisfied with what I saw this year. And, uh, and I repeat, it was a special year for everybody. Montreal Impact Sporting Director Olivier Renard there. And the Impact have been busy-ish so far this off-season. Bringing Kamal Miller into the team, as we talked about in the last part, and that trade with Austin FC, bringing the Orlando City centre-back into the fold. Their other big off-season signing so far is American midfielder Jordi Mihailovic. Acquired from Chicago Fire and returned for 400000 in 2021 general allocation money and 400000 in 2022 general allocation money, as well as a $200,000 conditional GAM payment that's going to be met if Mihailovic meets certain appearances and performances for the impact. Montreal signed Mihailovic to a three-year deal with a one-year option. They used Tam for that as well, so he's not going to be a designated player with them. In his four seasons with Chicago, he played 73 games, 45 of them starts, scoring 7 goals and adding 15 assists. He's young, he's still only 22, so it's a lot of money to, to give up for quite a young player, but Montreal seemed very happy with that acquisition. There's certainly a, a number of areas in the pitch that Montreal are needing to strengthen, and... Midfield's one of them, certainly up front. They are on the search for that out-and-out number nine striker, as we talked about before. So that's going to be the interesting one to see where they spend their money in that regard in the off-season. Also, how much, like the Whitecaps, COVID might come into things. If Montreal aren't able to play their home games in Canada, is that maybe going to affect players coming to, to join the impact? Are players wanting to just leave their families in Quebec while they maybe have to go and play in America? It's the, it's the big, big thing that's really the stumbling block for all three of the, the MLS Canadian teams just now. 
And when you look at the, the chatter around about NHL just now and John Horgan's not really wanting the Canucks to be playing games here by the looks of it, it still looks like it's going to be a tough long road ahead for the Whitecaps in 2021 in that regard. And we all know how tough it has been for everyone associated with all three of the clubs, being away from family, being away from loved ones, just being away from home comforts really. And just going to finish off this part by, by playing a little bit of audio from Montreal's Canadian international, Samuel Piet. He kind of just addresses that aspect of things and just talks about the, the difficult year it was for him as a player with Montreal from a, a player's perspective. Just tell us a little bit about uh, Kamal Miller. I know you played with him in a national team. Uh, what sort of player are we getting in uh, Kamal Miller? Yeah, Kamal, Kamal is a very good player. I really liked him. Uh, I really liked him as a person. You know, as soon as I saw the, the news that we acquired him, uh, it was right before the game uh, against Olympia, and I right away messaged him, uh, and I told him, like, I don't know if you're happy with the deal <laughs> or the trade, but I know I am, and I'm, I'm thrilled, you know, to, to, to see you come to Montreal, and, and I'm sure you're, you're going to love it. And he told me right away that he was very happy with the deal and, uh, you know, to, to, to come over to Montreal. He's, he's, a, he's a guy, you know, a young guy, but he's, he's gained some experience in the last two, two seasons with Orlando. He's a guy, obviously, we, we all know can play left back, left footed, uh, but can play center back. He's, he's a big guy. Uh, he's really solid and, and he's a guy very comfortable in the ball. You know, uh, he's a guy that's not afraid to hit diagonals with, with his left foot. Um, so, no, I think, I think we got a good guy, a uh, good player, first of all, but most importantly, a really good guy that, you know, is going gonna, is gonna to battle for, 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 for this team, for this city. Um, because he wants to do good things for himself. Uh, and from the discussion that I have with him, um, you know, he likes as well where the team is going with younger guys and Canadian and stuff like that. So he's really excited about the project. And I, I think we have, we, we acquired a, one of the good guys uh, uh, in Kamal Miller. Sam, knowing what the experience was like this past year, um, are you and your teammates okay with the potential of playing the majority of your MLS season in the States and not in Montreal? Yeah, obviously we don't we don't want that. Uh, I'm sure you expected that response, but I mean it was it was difficult, uh, you know, being away from home and and all the stuff that happened this year. Uh, I know the, the the COVID situation is not resolved yet. I know uh, some vaccines are 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 coming along, but uh, we still don't know for for 2021 what it will look like, just in general, not just in football and sports. Uh, but I think I think. You know, it was a little experience that we've had this year. And I think if, if it happens again in 2021, we'll be more ready and, and we will know what to expect uh, if we have to do that again. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, and I, I don't think it's, it's a secret, uh, not a lot of guys will be happy with that. But if, if we have to do that, then so be it. And, and we'll have to, to, to deal with that. Samuel Piet there, and I don't think anyone listening to this envies what those players and officials and like even the social media people and the comms team and everything like that had to go through with Montreal, Toronto and Vancouver this year. Hopefully things are going to prove to be a lot, lot better for them next year. As we, we talked to Mark DeSantis about at the start, it makes sense that you're going to start the year off with a, another Canadian series. 
it really is the, the thing just now that has to be the way to go. I would still like to see some kind of bubble here that is going to allow teams to come in and have all three teams able to host games on their home turf. But we'll see how that goes. There's going to be a lot of action this off-season, I'm sure. We'll bring it all to you here on AFTN. But that is it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Mark DeSantis and everything else. We will be back next time with our 2020 AFTN Christmas special. Until then, make sure you check out all our stuff, AFTN.ca. We'll have some articles going up on this week and next week as well. Give us a follow on Twitter if you're not already at AFTN Canada. And please subscribe, like and turn on notifications on our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. If you've enjoyed this episode or other episodes as well, please leave a like or a review on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you do want to support AFTN even further, remember you can subscribe to our extra podcasts. $30 a year, $3 a month. It's a donation to the site. In return, you'll get some extra podcasts winging your way. We try and get it to work out so it's about one a month over, over the 12 months. And we'll have another one of those dropping for subscribers pretty soon as well. But that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. Have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you for being with us this year so far. It's been an awful year in so, so many ways. We hope you've brightened your your year a little bit by, by listening to this. So all that's really left to say is mourn the Christmas festivities. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.